Every one of us in this room, we've got dreams, things with all our heart we'd really like to do. But I promise you the only way to get there is to make today count. Start and be faithful in the small things. Welcome back to There Is Always A Way with Dr. Jay Strack. Today's guests are Brent Crow, who is a thought-provoking visionary and communicator who has a passion to present the life-changing message of the gospel. Brent is currently serving as the vice president with Student Leadership University in Orlando, Florida. Jeff Wallace currently serves on the Student Leadership University team as the executive director of the Lift Tour and Youth Pastor Summit. Jeff has produced several resources designed to empower and equip youth ministry leaders, parents, and students in a variety of contexts and environments. In today's episode, entitled Letters to Our Sons, Brent and Jeff join Jay to share how they talked about the murder of Ahmad Arbery with their sons. Hate and evil has no color, socioeconomic, or political affliction, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Here's Dr. Strack. Hello, my name is Jay Strack. And this is There's Always a Way podcast. And I know what that saying means to me, but I've been asking all of our guests, what do they think of? What's the first thing that leaps to mind when they hear the phrase or see the phrase, there's always a way? Our guest, two very close friends, two, two men that I admire a great deal on many, many levels. We have Jeff Wallace, and uh, hopefully in another year, uh, Dr. Jeff Wallace. He's working on his PhD. He is vice president of uh, so many programs. It's, uh, it would take the rest of the podcast to list. And then we have Dr. Brent Crow, who's vice president of Student Leadership University, uh, author of five books, and uh, somebody I consider a deep thinker. I consider both of them thought leaders. I know both of them are sought after speakers, uh, and especially for uh, uh, this generation who's looking for those that are very close to their age to help them untangle some of these things that come our way in life. And our subject today is not a, a light subject, it's a, it's a heavy subject. And it's about the open wound we are facing in the United States. And that open wound is not just a wound because of what's just happened in the last couple months, and by the way, I'm even embarrassed to say that when you hear of an arrest being made and then you realize it's about two months late. Now, everybody's entitled to due process. Everybody's entitled to a trial. Everybody's entitled to all of that. But when there is something that we have video footage of uh, and it goes for two months, uh, that's one of the many things that causes this to be the reopening uh, of a wound, and so we're now an open wound. It implies we've had recent events that have happened, which we have. We'll talk about that. Uh, Jeff Wallace, uh, for those of you listening uh, by uh, audio podcast, uh, is an African-American and uh, is considered uh, family, I believe, by Brent, and uh, family by me. We just think the world uh, of him, and of course, it's fun to watch uh, this uh, young man from the uh, urban uh, environment in the huge city of Atlanta, and then Brent, that I believe is one of the leading redneck thinkers, no, one of, you know, who grew up in rural Georgia, smaller areas on the outskirts, if you will, uh, of Georgia. And so you would 
on the surface go, what do these two have in common? And I'm going to let them tell that story. The reason for the podcast, ladies and gentlemen, is that Jeff Wallace wrote a letter to his three sons after he heard about the tragedy that happened to Ahmad Aubrey, a young man, 25 years ago, 25 years of age, out running, minding his own business in a neighborhood he'd been in many, many times, and uh, all of a sudden gets accosted. He keeps on running and uh, gets shot in the back, and the young man lost his life. So, Jeff, you address some very personal things to your three boys because. If my understanding's right, you have three, I started to say boys, but they're young men, outstanding young men, but you have two sons living in Atlanta. Yes, sir. And rooming together and are, you know, pursuing their education and pursuing careers, but yet they live together in Atlanta. And your youngest son, 17 years old. Yes. And so, as I read your letter, my heart broke. As I read your letter, and then, little did I know, Brent had written a letter to his son, talking, you know, so you have it from both perspectives, but yet two people that are brothers, uh, men of faith, men that are optimists, men that are always trying to figure out where we go from here. So, Jeff, before you read the letter, what comes to mind when you hear, there's always a way? Well, thank you for having me. First and foremost, Dr. J, I find it is an honor and privilege to be on your podcast, sir. So thank you for that. Uh, when I hear that phrase, I, I, the first thing that comes to my mind is regardless of uh, the obstacles that are before you, um, that there is always an opportunity or a possibility to, to find an answer or a solution to whatever challenge that one face. And so when I hear that phrase, that's the first thing that comes to my mind. Wow. Brent, how about you? Well, thank you, Doc. It's uh, a, let me just echo what Jeff said. It is an honor to be on on your podcast. And I, I thought about saying something funny and just naming all the books that you've turned to face the camera behind you. So I think of Edison and Margaret Thatcher and Tom and, and Albert Einstein and Lincoln. But I won't. I won't do that. Um, I think of. Uh, I don't know uh, who was up there before. <laughs> <laughs> Rick Flair, the nature boy. But anyway. Yeah, and I think I see Dr. Graham in there somewhere. So yeah, it's of quite a, quite, you got quite a library. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I wrote down in my journal um, after studying that Ephesians text that God can do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever mm-hmm. ask or imagine. So to me, when I hear the phrase, there's always a way, I think I can't out dream or imagine um, or surpass, excuse me, the creative ponderings of uh, our God who is infinite. And so when I, I, I think of that, I go, you know, that, that means that I can't ever out problem solve God. I can't out think God. I can't be, I can't be more creative. And so when I think of it, I, I go, man, I do everything I can do and use every ounce of creativity I can use. And the Lord will open my eyes to even more than I could have ever imagined. So. Well, I love that. In addition to Lincoln, Einstein, Thatcher, and Edison. (laughs) And I know you're looking forward to actually reading those kind of (laughs) (laughs) And let me just say with full disclosure, so am I. No. All right. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, uh, 
let's dive in. Jeff, you hearing the news, uh, I was going to ask you what you first felt. Was it anger? Was it disappointment? But your letter, I believe, just captures maybe, you know, as you kind of pour your heart out to your three young men's sons. Uh, so I'm going to ask you if you would, Jeff, if you feel comfortable, sure. if you read that letter and I want our listeners and all of us, I mean, I've, I've read it about four times and gone over it with, with others around me. And I'm telling you, it's, it, it's quite moving. So would you share that with us, Jeff? Sure. Absolutely. Dear Jay, CJ and Cameron, I've spent the last several hours sitting down trying to come up with the proper words to fully articulate how I'm feeling today. I am hurt, sad, frustrated, angry. And if I'm being completely honest, I'm scared. Here we go again is all I keep saying to myself. Here is yet another deplorable and senseless act of violence by two white men captured on video against an unarmed black man who was just simply jogging in his neighborhood. Boys, every time moments like these, uh, this happens, the level of anxiety I feel as your father intensifies because I never want to receive that phone call like the parents of Ahmaud Aubrey received on that fatal day in February. It brings me back to why I taught you guys how to drive the way I did. You remember, instead of focusing first on your speed, how you approach a turn or paying attention to your blind spot. We talked about the six point protocol for when you are being pulled over by a police. One, if possible, pull over in a well-lit and fairly populated area. Two, keep your hands at nine o'clock and three o'clock on the stern wheel. Three, with your hands on the stern wheel, have your driver's license and insurance card in your hands before the officer gets there. Four, limited eye contact with the officer. Five, always respond, yes, sir, no, sir. And six, explain what you're doing, or what you're about to do, excuse me, before you do it. As your father, I've always tried to be honest with all three of you about the ugliness of prejudice, discrimination, and racism in our country. However, at the same time, I've also tried to teach you guys the truth that the actions of one or a few does not represent the heart, feelings, or mindset of all. Hate and evil has no color, socioeconomic, or political affiliation. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, Paul tells us in Ephesians 6 and 12. Yes, you're going to experience moments where people will pass negative judgment on you and will um, will be, and you will be presumed guilty. Yes, there will be moments when your limited privilege will be superseded by a greater privilege. Yes, there will be moments when you are not allowed to love who you want to love because the color of your skin doesn't meet the family requirement. However, in spite of all these realities, don't ever compromise your integrity, perpetuate any negative stereotypes, or feed into the divisive propaganda that is out there. Be change agents and hope dealers. Always be proud of your rich heritage and culture. Don't ever get it twisted. What, ultimate, what will ultimately define you is your unwavering commitment to being young men of faith. You see, your ethnicity will present moments of limitations, 
but as sons of God, your spiritual benefits are endless. Also, my prayer for the three of you is that you will lead, love, and do life with people who may not look like you, but they have the same values, morals, ethics, and beliefs. Never do life with someone just because they're black. Do life with people because they're living right. You guys already know how fortunate I am to have a dear friend who doesn't look like me that I get to do real life with. And I love the fact that you guys respect and admire him because of the father, husband, and leader he is. It's super dope to me that you've never referred to him as my white friend, but only as someone you guys love listening to and learning from. Uh, like us, he finds these acts of senseless violence and racism just as disgusting as we do. He's even having his own conversation with his son, like I'm having with you guys, because his heart breaks over the fact that issues like these still exist. Boys, that's the type of friend you want to have. Though uh, through our relationship, we've both discovered that a lot of the ignorance and prejudice with all people that plague our country comes from two places, one, hate, and two, having a single story perspective. We both also wish that we did not have to have conversations to distinguish who life matters and who life doesn't. That's why my legacy to you is to challenge all three of you to not engage in frivolous social media rants or temporary moments of trending topics or emotionalism, but to sit down and have a conversation with people. Don't take a de defensive posture. Take the posture where you want to help bring understanding, clarity, and insight with the hope to bring unity to our culture in the mindset of dealing with moments like this. My sons, I will always remember you are fearfully and wonderfully made, as we know in Psalms 139 and 14. Therefore, unapologetically live your faith, uh, uh, live your, excuse me, unapologetically live a life where your faith screams loud and you never settle for mediocrity. I believe with all my heart and soul, you three will be the catalyst for change. I speak that over your lives. But in order to do so, you must be willing to always see the best in people seek to be understood not heard and speak the truth and love never respond with your feelings only facts and most importantly let your faith be your filter through which you process everything i love the three of you more than life itself you guys are the very best parts of me you're my legacy love your proud father who adores you well mm -hmm. thank you thank you jeff i know that uh I know that uh, resonates with everybody who's hearing it and uh, it's convicting. And I'm embarrassed uh, for our listeners. You may not be able to tell, but I'm a white guy, uh, an old white guy, unbelievably cool, but you know, an old white guy. But Jeff, when I read those words, oh no, not again, mm -hmm. I just hung my head of all the things you could have said that, uh, just tears me up. It's, it's that other than thinking about having the fear of getting a phone call like that father did. Yes. We all worry about our kids speeding. We all worry about there being an accident. We all worry, unfortunately about there being a shooting, but I don't think most of us in my world, uh, worry about 
if you go running in a neighborhood or you go out for a drive mm -hmm. or you're going to work or coming back from work or going to your girlfriend's house or what, I mean, so, but anyway, that one phrase, oh no, here we go again. And Jeff, in my mind, I would like to be able to say, oh, well, you know, it's been quite a while, but then the first thing that came to mind was the Charleston Nine mm -hmm. and, and hearing Tim Scott, our African-American Senator from South Carolina, who's just a, a brilliant guy, a man of faith. Uh, he loves students. We've been privileged to have some interaction with him. And uh, he's quite popular. He's a very effective speaker. But when he talked about how that tore his faith up about what had happened in that church, but the phrase he said that I'll never forget, their only crime was, number one, they wanted to go to church and pray. Mm. And number two, they were black. It was the only two things they did wrong. So every time there's a tragedy, we go, well, man, if somebody maybe would have done that differently or, but when that's the only two mistakes you make is you want to go to church and pray because it's Wednesday night and number two, you're black. You talk about a helpless feel. I mean, you know, so to hear Tim Scott talk about what that did to him as an African-American man of faith and national leader and, in, and the guy who went to school in Charleston, I mean, an impressive, you know, yeah. so, uh, Brent, here we go again. I know that yes, resonates sir. with you as well. And then Brent, you have uh, one son, two daughters, two uh, beautiful young daughters, but one young man who's now a teenager. Uh, and when I have two teenagers, I have, I have another like today, as of today, as of today, I have two teenagers. Oh my gosh, that is right. <laughs> it's all over. <laughs> oh man. He'll no longer be a youth speaker anymore. <laughs> uh, but Brent, um, I know you hurt because number one of Jeff, yeah. number two, because I've been, you and I've worked together for some time and it became very obvious to me that, uh, this was something that you had little tolerance for little patience with and, and anxious to somehow contribute to making a difference in that. But I also know it hurt you because you're close to Jeff. Uh, and uh, that's the first one, first thing we thought of. So Brent, I'm gonna ask you if you would, um, you talked a very tremendous insight into the Ephesians 3 passage about there's always a way because God's at work, he's large, he's in charge, he's on the throne, he's creative, he's got solutions we'll never think of. So I can't help but feel that you feel that God has a solution to this and a, and a way out of this. Yeah. And somehow by his grace, his mercy, and Lord, if you could use any of us listening to this podcast or use us on the podcast, we would be most grateful yeah. if this would be something that would no longer be an open wound in the United yeah. States of America. So yeah. Brent, give me your thoughts. And then when you want Phil, read the letter. Okay. You wrote um, Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, well, I, I just want to say I appreciate Jeff being willing to read his, and I was I was holding back tears as I listened to it, even though I've read it several times, and 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 we did this together in one sense. I, I would say about Jeff and I's friendship since you brought it up. Number one, we are first and foremost friends and brothers, and and and, and 
um, ride till you die type relationships. You can only have a handful of those in, in your life. And in fact, I was challenged a few years ago um, because I don't have a lot of close friends. It's sometimes when you are on the road a lot and you're always the guy that people are asking stuff of, you just, it's hard to get really close to people. But uh, one of our communicators uh, at Youth Pastor Summit asked me one one that night in the car when I was driving him back to his hotel, he said, you know, when you die, there's only room for about eight people to stand around your bed. <laughs> eight people that loved you your whole life and know you. Uh, who are your eight? And I, I said, man, I, I got a couple, but I don't, you know. And he said, well, you need to have eight. He said, I'm going to be a fill-in for you until you get your eight. Um, and he was, you know, he was checked up on me a couple times and just very kind of him. But I started praying that day that, you know, I need to be open to um, uh, real authentic friendship in my life. Um, and it wasn't long after that, that that Jeff and I really began, began to have a, a very tight relationship and friendship, first and foremost, as, as brothers in, in the Lord and people who cared about ministry. And then because of that friendship, it was a classroom. It became in one sense, a, a relationship that was also a, a classroom for discipleship where he was able to help me process my feelings through the grid of scripture of this issues so that are going on. Um, and so the first issue that I reached out to Jeff about, and really from everything I've read, it's kind of the modern day wave of, of injustice was the Trayvon Martin shooting that happened here years, years, years ago. That's close, uh, at home. close at home, right? Very Oregon. close. Yeah. I mean, Samford, which is, you know, what, 30 minutes outside of Orlando. Um, and so, yeah, so that happened. Uh, we were doing an event uh, and we were sharing our hotel. We had one block in the hotel and the uh, uh, future leaders of the NAACP, I believe is what it was called, had the other block. And, and I just didn't like that we were walking past each other in the hall because our hearts were breaking. This was and they were about to, I think, either issue the verdict for the trial or something like that. It was a big moment. So I, I reached out to Jeff and I said, Jeff, I, I want to look like Jesus in this moment, but I need help understanding what that is. Hmm. And he began to walk me through. So this, these letters, I just say that to say these letters are a snapshot in time of a bigger conversation. Mm -hmm. And unless the bigger conversation um, is willing to take place, if that's not willing to take place, I don't think we're going to find resolution. You asked, how is there a way? And ultimately, there is a way when we, as followers of Jesus, realize that our ultimate citizenship is in the heaven country. That's what Paul writes about. Mm -hmm. uh, in Philippians, the best answer to this for me, Philippians, Paul's saying he's writing to a group where people are the haves and the have-nots. There's people who have the benefit of the doubt and those who have had a lot of injustice against them. Mm -hmm. And they, so then Paul comes to town and people start to get saved and they have a church. Now they don't want to worship together. And so here's how Paul solves it. He goes, just as one thing as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. In other words, he goes, Hey, your citizenship is not in Philippi. Your citizenship is in the heaven country. Right. And when we start acting like citizens of heaven to each other, when we start acting like we belong to the same people who have been set apart to the gospel of God, as Paul wrote in Romans, as we start acting that way, then we'll no longer be silent when tragedy takes place.
And it's the silence that's caused so much division. All my African-American brothers and sisters and church leaders who I've talked to, um, their biggest struggle is why is the white church so silent when these things happen? How can you just have your normal church service the next Sunday? Where is the outrage? Now, thank God on this one, there has been, and that's the, that's the sad, but on this side of a beautiful maybe outcome right. is that finally there is a collective voice that is rising up lamenting together. Right. But there, that has been a missing component, Jay, I, I believe. And I'm saying that from a white perspective, but, the ability or willingness to to is that fair jay is that fair you think well it's fair but it's like some of jeff's uh heartfelt observations it's it's convicting you know my generation uh is has been as guilty as anybody and not so much in trying to perpetuate but in the the silence part because you feel like, you know, what do I say? Is it the right thing? Is it the wrong thing? But uh, uh, I think it was Dr. King himself who said, you know, uh, to remain silent is as serious as being the one <laughs> who's committing the act. In other words, to, to not care enough to say anything. I, you were the one, Brent, who mentioned to me that even the guy doing the filming of the video was now going to be uh, 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 interrogated, you know, questioned. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but you know, you begin to go, well, of course. I mean, d nobody ran, nobody tried to stop, nobody uh, called 911. And when he was shot, didn't run over and at least try to help. I mean, all the things we, we, we would do as human beings and as brothers. But Brent, your reference to Paul and the message to that very divided church in Philippi is, is profound because I, I've preached for a long time that, that I carry two passports mm. and they've both been stamped and there's a seal on, on both of them. Mm. And I'm a citizen of the United States and I'm proud of it even in moments like this when I hang my head and, and my heart is broken. Uh, but I'm still believing the best about us. I'm still believing that somehow, some way, again, to quote uh, Dr. King, uh, you know, if we're gonna be America, we're gonna have to live up to our uh, doctrines and our sacred writings and our uh, symbols, whether mm -hmm. it's the Declaration of Independence or the Bill of Rights, uh, and of course, uh, if we're going to be children of God, we're going to have to live up to our faith. And so, uh, but I love the fact that you reference that, uh, that the main thing is that if we were to live as the citizens of heaven and live out our faith, then we could solve that problem. And I would hope one day we'd be able to say, and if we're going to be what Americans are supposed to be, we're going to live out and solve uh, this problem. Yeah. Brent, read the letter you wrote, same broken heart, but through different lenses, sure. Uh, sure. to your son. Dear Gabriel, I write this with a heavy heart. I'm confused and yet have clarity. I'm caught off guard and yet not surprised. Another act of violence was committed against a young man in which his life was taken just because of the color of his skin. He was jogging when two white men, a father and a son of all people, chased him down and murdered him in cold blood. 
the entire thing was captured on a camera phone. It went viral. And this is how most of us learned the name Ahmad Aubrey. My son, you have lived, we have lived a very sheltered life, somewhat in a bubble because we are white. You go for a jog most mornings on a public street. Never once have I feared for your safety due to the color of your skin. Our whiteness gives us a privilege. I know you didn't ask for it, neither did I. But nonetheless, privilege we have been given because we are white in America. I emphasize this point to you because most of your closest friends, or because some of your closest friends, um, will never experience such freedom. And so, I feel I must define white privilege for you since there are so many opinions in our culture concerning this phrase. It simply means this, that there is a benefit of the doubt, a positive assumption made because you are white. People may assume that you won't steal something from a store, have drugs in your car, and never wonder if you're in the wrong neighborhood, all because of the color of your skin. I know this privilege that you have been given the benefit of the doubt while others your friends who are black would have a negative assumptions made about them simply makes your stomach sick. I know that you are torn inside because one of the men you look up to the most in your life is a black man. To you, he is simply a man that inspires you, challenges you, and loves you unconditionally. But Gabriel, there is a part of our world who sees him very differently. Those with ra a racist mindset do not judge him, to borrow a phrase from Dr. King, by the content of his character, but rather the color of his skin. So, take all that frustration and anger and confusion and set it aside for just a moment and consider this. Your black friends feel a pain, a hurt, an anger, a confusion, an indignation that you and I could never fully experience. Even the phrase in that sentence, your black friends is a contradiction to the way our family sees people and it makes me sick to my stomach that I write it that way. We've never taught you to think of friends in terms of black, Hispanic, Asian, and so on. Now consider one more idea. How difficult it must be for that man who just happens to be black that you look up to who is also the father of three sons. Son, this is not the world I wanted to give you. Honestly, there have been moments in my adult life where I thought, as a society, we were healthier than this. With that said, Gabriel, don't let a broken world break your spirit. Grow into a leader who refuses to compromise on issues such as racism and who leads others to see the error of such unintelligent thinking. Be the type of leader who doesn't see this problem out there, but rather out there, rather just as Adam and Eve, excuse me, be the type of leader who doesn't see this as a problem out there, but rather just as the story of Adam Eve is the story of us all. Likewise, we cannot be divorced from the evil narrative unfolding in our present day. Hmm. Realize that the toleration of evil in our culture reflects the toleration of sin in our own lives. We must never tolerate our, in our own lives that which Christ died for. It is only then that you can have a faith that leads to engaged culture, being the salt and light that Jesus preached about. Knowing that as long as God gives me a beating heart and breath in my lungs, I'm praying for you. That you will be the kind of man who loves well and longs to see justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream, Amos 5, 24.
I love you to the moon and back. Your loving and proud father. Wow. wow. Brent, just as um, Jeff had a phrase, here we go again. And then the phrase, I, dr I fear for the day of ever getting a phone call much like uh, that father received. Your phrase about white privilege was just kind of <laughs> caused me to recoil. But you stated it quite well. And the things we don't think about is because we have a white privilege. Mm -hmm. And the reason some of us struggle with, well, what do we do or how do we help is because we've never gone through that. But again, that whole, that ancient adage, you got to walk a mile in somebody's shoes uh, before you really can call yourself a brother, uh, I think comes to mind. A couple things I, I would like to say based on hearing both of you. I pray that everybody listening or watching this podcast will have a conversation with your children around the table or in their room or somewhere where y'all can just sit and and have a heart to heart. And the reason for that, I think sometimes the reason, I'm not trying to justify it, I, forgive me if it's being defensive, that some of the churches, uh, white churches do not always respond verbally, is if we were having more of these kind of conversations in our homes mm -hmm. with our own children, mm -hmm. it might make it where it's gonna be a little more natural for us to also speak out about it. You know, uh, you know, there uh, a couple. There's a couple things I just feel led to say, Jeff. One of the one of the moments that um, when when I was really just getting to know you, and you were coming to to be a part of Student Leadership University. You know, really, I had Brent was sky high, and I was impressed. There, there's a difference. But he had known you. He had. He'd, yeah at work, you know, yeah. but I was really unprepared for the uh, influence and the impact you would have on our organization and the way God uses you to speak to uh, all ages and to all groups. And uh, that's always been my prayer and been, and been my passion. Uh, and I know that's how Brent feels. But Jeff, I never will forget kind of an awkward moment <laughs> when my wife it's my favorite. I love this story. <laughs> Met you for the first time. And then there was a break. And she said, honey, you never told me Jeff was African-American. And I went, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, he, he is. And, and of course, she was thrilled, you know. I mean, she was excited. But, you know, I was, it, when you heard about it, you know, at first I'm going, man, I hope I, should I even say it or not? Because I didn't, you know. But your response, uh, you know, told me a lot about you, and uh, and hopefully uh, you learned a little bit about us. You know, it just didn't matter. Somebody asked me, "Well, well, how diverse is your organization?" And I started thinking of the different uh, people of color that we would have, you know, in our organization. But then after I counted and I said, I said, "But I got to be honest with you." None of them were hired because they were black or because they were African-American. They were hired because of their character and their calling and their giftedness and, and their passion, their, the way they handled themselves and their enthusiasm about what we're doing. And so 
You know, I know it's one thing for us to have a kumbaya moment in our office, right? I mean, with each other and enjoy each other's company and, and try to be there for each other. But at the same time, though, we have got to realize as an organization and as a, prayerfully a catalytic agent for change, mm -hmm. uh, we're going to have to address some of these issues. Uh, another moment was when we had the uh, uh, Dr. King's granddaughter uh, in our a daughter, I'm sorry, oldest, uh, youngest daughter in our church, in our, in our uh, excuse me, one of our events in uh, Washington, D.C. And it gave me a chance to do something I'd wanted to do all my life. And I said, as a white Southern cracker, can I tell you something? And your eyes got very big. I'm sorry. Yeah. I am so sorry that you lost your father as a little girl and your mom, whom I had the privilege of meeting and, and spending time with, uh, lost her husband far too early. And he was taken away so quickly. And I said, I wanna say to you, not only are, are, am I sorry, but we're sorry. But number two, we believe your dad, your family, all of the King family, you are a gift from God to us. Because anybody, if Dr. King hadn't come when he did, in my humble but accurate opinion, I, there's no telling what would have happened. We may not be having these conversations because the divide or whatever may have been, you know, but mm -hmm. he gave us a chance. So I kind of feel like we're in the game, but we're way, way behind on the scoreboard and we're running out of play. I mean, we can't lose any more players. You know, we can't lose any more young men, young women. And so uh, I thank you for uh, what you've added, but also for being willing to have this dialogue. Give us a couple closing thoughts, Jeff. What do, what do we do listening to this podcast that you think could make a difference? Well, you know, without sounding like the company slogan or the company guy, I think what we're doing right now is a great example of that, Dr. J, to be honest with you. I think as an African-American man who um, feels very comfortable uh, to be able to share my hurts, fears, and struggles with uh, you and Brent. Um, I think that's a great example of what is needed. Uh, what I feel right now is I have uh, people who don't look like me, but who are willing to jump in the ditch with me. And I think that that is, um, that speaks volumes uh, because we get an opportunity as brothers, as, as, as Brent you know, share earlier as citizens of heaven. You know, we get an opportunity to challenge each other, push each other, deal with assumptions and myths, you know, in a place of safety. And so I think that there, um, this, this situation with Ahmaud Aubrey has, uh, I think, given us a glimpse of a potential strategy or a way to move forward where when we have um, the white evangelical community who speaks up and say, hey, I'm, I don't fully understand, but I do recognize that this is a grave injustice and that this is uh, an ugliness that we collectively need to address. And as we collectively address it, that means that, you know, we may have to address it from two different perspectives, which, you know, um, our letters represent, right? And then as we in our own Jerusalem, because there are some conversations to be very candid, Dr. J, that I 
you know, in, as an African-American have to have my, my own Jerusalem within our own people of, hey, these are some things that we have to address and some, some things that we have to course correct and, and to, to, to take care of. We have to have that. And, and as you had mentioned just a little while ago, sitting around the table and, and your Jerusalem having those conversations, I think a commitment to having individual conversations in Jerusalem, we, might, we have to start there. And then we come back around together to have conversations to, together to figure out how do we um, approach this very difficult but yet complex topic because there's so many layers. I think you could spend five podcasts, you know, talking about it. We still won't scratch the surface. But I think what we're doing right here um, as a not just as a something to check off the box, but there's something that we're saying together. Hey, well, let's get in the ditch together and fight through this. Uh, these issues together. I think that's, that's very, very important uh, to moving the ball down the field, in my opinion. Jeff, is there always a way, is there a way forward for us to heal this open wound? And uh, to, is the word reforge the bonds of, of, uh, of affection and brotherhood? Yes, sir. As long as the gospel is the gospel, there's always a way. I think as because when we look at things through the through the lens of scripture, Dr. J, that is, you know, we know there is a way, you know. So knowing there is a way and and going the way is two different things. Well, yes, sir. I think that as long as uh, th that we stand on the good news gospel of Jesus Christ, then yes, sir, there is always a way. Well, Brent, your closing thoughts. Yes, sir. I, so I Solve this for us. And, yes. Uh, yes, Dr. Crow, PhD already. And <laughs> um, I, uh, I was, I was actually, if you see, if you're watching this and you see me look down, I was actually taking notes and trying to summarize as Jeff wrote what, what he was saying. And I, I wrote this statement down, uh, a strategy not born out of solidarity will not lead to unity. Mm say that again a strategy not born out of solidarity will not lead to unity in other words there needs to first be solidarity and out of that emerge a strategy that leads to unity and um that's why i think that this is an issue that has to start in the church um because the type of solidarity that is required to move forward requires agape love and um, and I think that's something that uh, that is uh, at the central mission of the of the Church of Jesus Christ. So that that would be yes. There's a way. There's always a way. But it's like there's a difference between there being a way and somebody being able to go that way, you know. And so um, so I think there has to be this sense of solidarity, not just a sense, but an actual ongoing demonstration, not once a year on a calendar, not but like you said, Jay conversations an ongoing conversation but solidarity that 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 breathes out strategy will lead to unity mm. That's well great well i have to be honest with you this hasn't answered the question this has just reminded all of us there's some other questions we've got to address this is a subject that must be addressed. This is a subject must be dealt with. Uh, I wrote down a simple thought as you both were talking is if God be for us, who could be against us? And number two, if it's to be, it's up to me.
I've got to be willing to do what I can to help push this cart up the hill. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the, I don't want, I wrote down, dear Lord, help, help our nation not to just have the coronavirus as the only colorblind thing we have. I mean, cause that's, it doesn't matter what color you are to this virus. You know, the virus attacks everybody and in every zip code and every area code. And uh, unfortunately we've seen in some ages more prone than others, but every age. And that can't be true of our nation where the virus uh, has a characteristic and a quality we don't even have. So that's, that's my prayer. I do believe this, and I say this to two young men that I believe will be leaders going forward for a long time until the Lord blows the whistle and goes everybody out of the pool. But, uh, and then we're going to have some real splaining to do, by the way. So if we don't get, we better get it right now. Yeah. We'll be splaining to do. But uh, in all seriousness, you know, uh, for America to be great again, and I'm one of those guys, I want America great again. If America's going to be great again, it's just real simple. We got to be fair. And until America's fair, we'll never be great. Mm. I should get the same sentence as the guy in a different zip code and a different color for doing the exact same crime. And there should be justice no matter what and no matter who and no matter how we want to spin it. There's got to be justice. So for America to be great again, and again, I'm one of those guys, it's got to be fair. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's my prayer. Lord, make us a fair nation. And God bless you both for sharing uh, your heart, talking straight, doing some heavy lifting. And uh, quit talking to me and go out and clean up this mess, will you? <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. We'll do our best. Anyway, there's, there's a set of parents that need to be prayed for who uh, have gone through this, mm-hmm. lost a son, and there's a whole community. That's a pretty big family that's grieving, by the way. Uh, and I say that collectively, there's a pretty big family grieving over uh, a tragic uh, taking of a young man's life, yeah. a young black man's life, but a young man's life. Yeah. So thank you guys very much. Thanks, Thanks for Thanks for having us. And thank you for listening, especially those who've taken the time to rate and review the podcast. It's because of you that others are able to discover this podcast and be encouraged and equipped in their own leadership. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share it with a friend by taking a screenshot and posting it to Facebook or Instagram, tag Student Leadership University or the hashtag SLULead. And don't forget to find Dr. Strack on Twitter at jstrack 7